following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. Would you welcome Dr. Alex Montoya, please? Hola, buenos dias. Well, it's, a real, it's always a real joy to be a part of this church and also be uh, in this pulpit and um, share in Brother Chris's ministry. We are really good, good friends, and we, um, he is like uh, one of a kind. I, I think you know that, don't you? He's one of a kind, and uh, there's a, a phrase we use. You know, he was at Shepherd's Conference this past week, and that's one of the reasons why I come here is because he is taking a break and getting refreshed and And then I come and pick up the slack, you know, and so he can get a chance to rest. And I was looking for him at the Shepherds Conference because, you know, I wanted to touch base. But he is such a, I mean, he is like the man. He is the man. And so it's wherever you see a big huddle of people, that's where he's at. He's impossible to approach unless you have clout. (laughs) If you don't have clout, then you just stand in line. So he is like, he is like the man. I want you to... uh, there's a Greek phrase called ha-anthropos. Can you say that? Ha-anthropos. Say it. That means the man. <clears throat> so from now on, that's the way you address him. He's like the man, okay? But great to be with you this morning, and our, our church sends her greetings. Uh, my wife especially uh, sends her greetings. She couldn't come today. She had uh, oral surgery, but uh, she sends her love delight to be with you this this morning, and I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles today and open them to Acts chapter 8, the book of Acts chapter 8. That'll be our text today as we look at God's Word and share His Word. We're excited for your future. We're we're excited about your new facility, and we know that you look, you, you may think you're like the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness, going from place to place, but eventually you'll get to the promised land. Amen or not? Yeah, we're going to get there eventually, by God's grace. It's almost there. Acts chapter 8 is the account of the, one of the greatest uh, 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 sections of Scripture in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is about, about the church growing and people coming to Christ. And uh, Acts chapter 8 is one of these great, great texts that highlights the importance of winning people to Christ. I've been concerned about California. You know, we have a lot of folks, live, they're leaving California. Anybody here planning to leave California in the next four or five years? Oh, you're too poor. You're too poor to leave. That's probably your problem, isn't it? Yeah, folks are like vacating the premises. They're leaving to Tennessee, another, another nation like Texas, and uh, places like that. And then there's, they're leaving us behind. Well, we ought not feel bad about that. Because we have a job to do. Our job is to win California to Christ. Amen or not? That's our task. So we're not feeling sorry for ourselves. We say this is where God has us. We're here to win people to Christ and to win uh, this godless state to our Lord Jesus Christ. That is our, our commission, our burden. And so I'm going to help, help us this morning to get ready for that. They tell me that the average Christian does not lead a person to Christ. That they go through an entire lifetime and never lead a person to Christ, actually came to Christ. But there are many of us that never lead anyone to Christ. And yet, that's what God has for us, for you and I to be involved in the whole process of bringing men, women, boys and girls to Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're looking at the text of Acts chapter 8. Let's read the text together, and then I'll walk through it. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. And Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. 
Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate to his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began, beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Lord, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the chariot, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. May God bless his word. I've entitled our thoughts this morning, The Anatomy of a Soul Winner. The Anatomy of a Soul Winner. For us to look at this man, Philip. Anatomy. Takes me back when I was in the uh, junior, junior class in high school. And we were taking biology. And my assignment was uh, to study the frog. That was my, my assignment. I'm from a small town in, in, uh, in the Imperial Valley. You know where that's at? Way down. And it's like 118 degrees in the summer. We're like three feet from hell. You know what I'm saying? That's where we're at. And this was like March or April. And my assignment was to study the frog. So I got my 22 rifle, went out to find a canal. And uh, I had to look, I had to find a couple of bullfrogs. So I saw one bullfrog in the canal and I shot him right to the head, number one. So I got my first frog. And then I had to capture a live one. So I captured a live bullfrog. Now this is spring. So it was pretty hard to find. But I got me two specimens, a dead frog and a live frog. And I took the dead frog and dissected him. Dissected him. And uh, I took him all apart, rebuilt his skeleton. So I had all the skeleton of the frog. And you could see the bullet hole in his head. You know what I'm saying? We could see where it came. And then I took his organs and I put them in little bottles. So I became an expert on frogs. And that, uh, so I, you asked me about the frogs back then, I could tell you everything about them. The anatomy of a frog. I want us to look at Philip as we looked the anatomy of a soul winner. We look at his life, and then you can examine your life to see if that is your life as well. Am I a soul winner? Am I the kind of person that God can use to bring someone to the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, there are, there are five, five distinct characteristics that we're going to see in this man called Philip. Five outstanding traits that surface as we examine the anatomy of a soul winner. Number one, number one, Philip is by all means what I call a great commission disciple. He's a great commission disciple. Five times, five times in the New Testament, God gives the great commission. He gives it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, is also the great commission. In Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, you recall that the, uh, the Lord... Jesus Christ said to them, but you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. This man, Philip, was by all means a, a, a great commission disciple. He obeyed the great commission. We call it the great commission, but in many churches it is called the great omission because it's not being done. Among many Christians, it's the great omission. We don't. We don't. We don't tell people about Christ. We don't tell our neighbors about Christ. We don't tell our, even our family about Christ. And yet, it's the great commission for every single believer. It's not just for the pastor. It's for everybody. It's for you and me, young and old. 
It's for boys and girls, moms and dads. It's for new Christians and for old Christians. It's called the great what? The great what? Now, we go through this ritual every time I speak here. <laughs> I know that Brother Pastor Chris is like highfalutin, high caliber. We stand in awe when he speaks. We're quiet. I'm the opposite. When I talk, you answer. Make me feel at home, yes or no? Okay, now, so great commission. And, and, and Philip was a great commission disciple. You realize, you see him. He surfaces in Acts chapter 6. He's one of the first so-called, quote-unquote, deacons. Deacons were assigned to help the apostles stay focused on the main thing. They, they started ministering to the widows. They got preoccupied doing social work. And the apostle said, we can't do, we can't stop preaching the gospel to wait on tables. We need to set aside men that are going to serve, help serve the tables. And they chose seven men. Philip was one of these disciples that was chosen. He was chosen not to stop preaching the gospel. He was chosen to facilitate the gospel, to serve as deacons, to allow the apostles to do the main thing. And the main thing was the preaching of the gospel, preaching of the word. And so from, from day one, he was a great commission disciple. You find him later on in chapter 8, in chapter 8, early, early part of chapter 8, when persecution arose, and they were scattered. They were scattered everywhere. And it says in verse 4 of Acts chapter 8, that therefore those that had been scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began preaching Christ to them. So here, scattered. Scattered because of persecution, and yet the disciples, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. The early church was started, spread by lay people. There were the lay people that were scattered everywhere, preaching the gospel, and Philip was one of these. And he was a great commission disciple because he not only went out preaching the gospel, but he started to obey the, the Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria. He goes to Samaria. And then to the remotest parts of the earth, which is the Ethiopian eunuch who took the gospel to where? Ethiopia. To Ethiopia. So here, Philip was involved in in being a great commission disciple from day one. Focus on preaching of the gospel, preaching the word, evangelizing the lost. And he becomes then a model for you and for me, for us to be thinking about, am I a great commission disciple? Am I, am I, am I the kind of person that is concerned for the lost, for those that need Christ? Am I part of the plan that God has for the church Am I part of this? Am I a great commission disciple? For Jerusalem, for Jerusalem, Marietta, for, for Judea, people's sections around, for Samaria, those that are not like us, the remotest parts of the earth, going everywhere around the world, sharing Christ. And that is, that is Philip. Notice the second characteristic of this man. He was a spirit-filled disciple. To be a to be a soul winner demands that you and I be filled with the Spirit of God. Now in Acts chapter 3, when they chose the first deacons, these seven men to help, one of the qualifications for them to qualify for the office of deacon had to be that they had to be Spirit-filled men. That is, men controlled by the Spirit of God. Men controlled to be Spirit-filled means to be controlled by the Spirit of God. It had not a lot to do with the whole sense of feeling or emotion or expressions. It has to do with control. And so we need, we need the Spirit of God to control our everyday life. To be Spirit-filled means that every day of our lives we are, we are controlled by the Spirit of God. These people, we have a horrendous drug problem in America. Our, na our nation is going down in flames where people want to be controlled by a substance of all different types. All different types and sometimes believers fall into the same, same trap. Be controlled by anything else except. And yet the main thing that believers should be concerned about is to be controlled by the Spirit of God. That God is the one that controls our life. That our everyday life Everyday life, whatever God calls us to do, we are controlled by the Spirit of God. We're walking by His Spirit. If we are not, 
If we are not led by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, then we're going to be walking by the flesh. And God is not going to use your testimony. God is not going to use your testimony. I recall working in a warehouse when I was going through seminary, and uh, one of my lead men was, uh, was a f- foul, foul, foul man. And he was like everything else but. And I, I, I was praying to lead him to Christ. And I was working to evangelize him. I'd do, every time I went to work, I was trying to win him to Christ. And then he said, Alex, I'd like to invite you to come to our church. We're having a special, special function at our church. I'd like you to come. I said, aha. So he goes to church. I'm going to go and see. And sure enough, I showed up. And lo and behold, he was an usher at his church. I almost died of a heart attack. <laughs> this reprobate. In other words, so he was useless in the workplace because he was walking as a fleshly man. There was no evidence of his faith in God. See, we can be one thing here and something else outside. Yes or no? We can be one thing here and something else outside. We can park our cars and put on the halo and walk in here and think that somehow we are a man of God and a woman of God. And then you step out and go outside and everything changes. That will not do. We need to be spirit-filled every step of the way, controlled by the Spirit of God. And before Philip was ever, ever ordained to go out and evangelize, he was already a man that was filled with the Spirit of God, controlled. He was a, a man that was led, controlled by the Spirit of God. But I want you to see something else about this spirit-filled life. Not only controlled, but he's the one that equips us for service. And, and take special note of that. It is the Spirit of God that really is the one that's going to equip us for, for service. Follow me to Second, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 for a moment. The Apostle Paul, perhaps the greatest soul winner uh, of, 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 of Christ's church, gives his testimony... In, in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, where he says, When I came to you, brethren, I, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. <clears throat> For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him what? And him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message And my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but note this, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on what? But on the power of God, on the power of God. And the key to becoming a soul winner is to allow the Spirit of God to equip us to be involved in soul winner. For example... He's the one that provides the power. You and I are not able to do anything when it comes to winning people to Christ. In wisdom, we cannot persuade them. We we would like to study apologetics. We'd like to study persuasion and argumentation. But that that may convince the mind, but it would not convince the heart. You may win the argument, but never win the soul. It is the power of God. It's the power of God that's going to do the transformation of that soul. So when you and I get involved in becoming a a soul winner for God, we have to say, Lord, I need to depend upon your power for you to be the one. Our Lord reminded us that it's the Spirit of God that does all the convicting and drawing people to Christ. Unless the Spirit of God opens the heart of the unbeliever, nothing will happen. Unless the Spirit of God brings conviction upon sin, there'll be no need to repent and come to Christ. And so we're trusting always in the power of God for God to do his work and rely upon him. So when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, when we see a a disciple like Ashley come to Christ and get baptized in a few few weeks, we can say it was the power of God that did it. We all, we testified, all we, we were part of the process, but when it's all said and done, it was God that did his work. So then the end result is that God gets the glory and God gets the praise because God is the one that did it. Also notice, Spirit equips not only by giving us the power, but also gives us the boldness. Gives us the boldness. You know, 
I am not by nature a, a bold person. I am by nature a very timid, timid man. So, so when it comes to, you know, talking about Christ, I need some boldness. Uh, I'm not exactly a roaring lion. I'm not like, like Pastor Chris. He can talk to anybody about Christ. And then there's us. You know what I'm saying? It's hard for us to open our mouths and begin to talk about Christ. So we need special boldness. And, and, and that, that is a common trait. Fear is a common trait. We just read Paul. I was with you with trembling and fear. The apostle Paul, yet that's what he says. And we, we read, for example, go to chapter 4 of Acts. Go to chapter 4. The, in the early days, they met together when they were being persecuted. They met together and they prayed. Look at verse 29. As they met together, the apostles prayed. He says, now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all, what? Confidence, with all boldness. So we pray, Lord, give me boldness. I need boldness. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with all what? With all boldness. So it's the Spirit of God that gives us boldness. Did you know, did you know people that the average pastor doesn't go out door to door? The average pastor is even afraid sometimes to preach the gospel from the pulpit. And the main reason is lack of boldness, fear, intimidation. It's a difficult thing. The hardest thing for the Christian, and I confess to you, the hardest thing of being a Christian isn't preaching, isn't, isn't leading the church, it isn't dealing with problems. The most difficult thing for me to do is to, is to go out and talk to people about Jesus Christ. Because by nature, I am not a bold person. I need to rely upon God to give me boldness to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anybody else like that in this auditorium? That are kind of a, so we need to ask God, Lord, give me boldness. Give me the courage that I need to go out and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give me, if I can use the expression, give me the guts, my Lord, to go out and talk to people about Jesus Christ. He provides them the power, provides the boldness, and also provides the guidance. I want you to note this carefully, because sometimes we can, we can live in an attitude of guilt. We can live with... Uh, and I don't want you to live in an attitude of guilt. My, 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 my being here this morning with you is not to put a guilt trip on you, but to help you become a more effective soul winner. The Spirit of God also is the one that's going to give us guidance. In, this, in chapter 8, in this account of Philip's winning the Ethiopian to Christ, you find, for example, the Spirit of God guiding. It says in verse 26, for example, the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go to the road which descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. There were two roads from Jerusalem to Gaza, two roads. And the Spirit of God said, I want you to take the desert road. So direction and guidance. In verse 29, the Spirit of the Lord said to Philip, get up and join this chariot. Notice the, how God is guiding this man, guiding this individual, not only to the place, but also to the person. In other words, when you, look, when you board a plane, American Airlines flying to Dallas, it is not like you have to speak to everybody on that plane. That's not what it's about. It's about saying, Lord, guide me. Guide me to the person that I'm going to sit next to. And guide me to, to, uh, to the seat and to the place and to the person. God will be doing that. See, God is going to arrange a divine encounter. Um, a number of years ago, we lived in, a, in, a, in another, another town close to the church, and, and uh, we had some neighbors moving in. And so I, uh, I opened the curtain from our bedroom and looked at the house where they're moving in, and there he was, the guy moving in, and he had a motorcycle with a leather jacket on. And I said, oh boy, there goes the neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, hell's angels moving in across the street. And he was a rough character, a really rough character, you know, kind of a mechanic type person, rough character. I said, oh God, there goes the neighborhood. And then uh, I said, well, we, we want to befriend these people and I want to invite them over. We're going to invite them over for, uh, for lunch. 
And um, so my wife said, said to me, now, now be careful. Don't start preaching to them right away. You know, kind of slowly work it in, you know what I'm saying? But don't, don't just lay in. Don't go for the juggler or off the bat. As soon as they walk in, grab them. Don't do that, you know, just kind of. And so I did. So we just, we just sat down um, for a, a cup of coffee right by the pool that we had. And, and then he said, hey, uh, what about the second coming of Jesus? God arranged that. And it wasn't long before he came to Christ, his wife came to Christ, they came to our church. God arranged that. See, God is the one that's going to arrange these circumstances for you. We need to trust God to, for him to guide us and place us and look for the divine appointment that God is going to make. He's always making them for us. Problem is we don't always see it. We don't always even ask for it. We don't even take advantage of it. It's important for us. I recall reading years ago about this hijacked plane that uh, they had hijacked in East Africa. And uh, it was hijacked and was supposed to fly back to Ethiopia. And as they were flying back, it was obvious the plane was not going to make it. They were going to run out of fuel. And there was a missionary couple on the plane. And the missionary couple, they, he looked at his wife and he, he sighed at the situation. Ha, he said. So he got up and started going chair by row by row, talking to people about Christ, knowing the plane was going to go down, knowing that he was going to die. And he kept on talking and talking, doing the ordeal, and, and leading people to Christ. And he would look back to his wife and he said, one more, you know. And he would come on and, one more, you know, he kept on... He kept on. That was a divine appointment. They perished in that plane. But he didn't perish alone. He led other souls to Christ. You see, we need to recognize that God is going to lay and give us divine appointments, my friends. We don't always see those. God arranges them all the time. And we miss those opportunities. Now, as a soul winner, we say, Lord, arrange them for me. Lead me. Bring them into my heart, into my life. Everything can be a divine appointment. And so here's here's what the Spirit of God does. He's the one that's going to be there for us. And notice number three. Let's go to number three. The, uh, the, 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 The soul winner is also a prepared disciple. Prepared. Uh, Philip was not a yo-yo. He was not a neophyte. He, this man, as you watch and examine him in operation, this is God giving us a description of how a man leads another man to Christ, how one Christian leads another Christian to Christ. And what surfaces here is that this man, this Philip, is a prepared disciple. In other words, he is, he is equipped to do evangelism. Equipped to do evangelism. The average believer in our churches is not equipped to do evangelism. And this is not the fault of the people. It's the fault of the, of the pastors and the leaders of the church. We need to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And part of that is to equip them to also be able to share the gospel of Christ. So Philip was a prepared disciple. For example, he knew the gospel. He, he could nail the gospel down. And the gospel is very simple. It is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and he rose again from the dead according to the scriptures. The gospel is about Jesus dying for sinners. It's about Christ paying the price for our sins. That's the gospel. It is not all the other stuff that is also in the word of God. We can preach a lot about the things of God. And we cannot preach the gospel. We can talk about go to church. We could talk about uh, uh, pre- preserving the life of the, of the unborn. We could talk about a lot of things and miss the gospel. Miss the gospel. The gospel is about the blood of Jesus Christ. I used to teach preaching at the Master Seminary. And uh, I would listen to sermons. And I would always tell the fellows, listen, you always have to take us to the, to the cross. Take us to the cross. And then when they would get done, I would say more often than I wanted to say, you missed, you missed, you missed it. There's no blood in your sermon. Your sermon should be dripping with blood. It should be blood everywhere. 
the blood of Jesus Christ. Take them to the cross. So for us to be prepared means we need to always be thinking that it's the cross. It's that Jesus died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried and he rose again from the dead. We're not preaching legalism. We're not preaching churchianity. We're preaching the cross. We're preaching Jesus Christ. Then, 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 then follow me. You also know how, you need to know how to present it. How to present it. How to begin the process and then take them through the gospel presentation just like Philip did. He, he started preaching Jesus to him and he took him step by step and led him every step of the way where he then was asking, now I believe, can I get baptized? And the whole process that he was, he was prepared. He knew the process. Anybody here know CPR? Anybody know CPR? Praise God. Anybody else know it besides? I don't know CPR. So we're together at a restaurant. We're at Black Angus. Okay, we're Black Angus. And you start choking on me. And you swallow a big steak and it's in your throat and you are choking. Friend, <laughs> you're dead. <laughs> I will give you the last rites. You know what I'm saying? And send you on your way. Because I don't know CPR. Now, to know the gospel presentation means you need to know spiritual CPR. If somebody asks you, if somebody asks you, when I had just come to Christ, my, uh, my grandfather was on his deathbed, and my aunt came out and said, Alex, I just started going to Bible school. Alex, you need to go talk to your grandfather. Tell him about Jesus. And I went and stood over his bed, and I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Because I didn't know the gospel plan. And I walked out weeping. And I said to my aunt, I don't know what to tell him. And she went back in and she did her best to talk about Jesus to him. I felt so convicted that here on, on a person's deathbed, I did not know how to tell another sinner about Jesus Christ. And I purpose right there and then that that would never happen again. That I would, I would learn how to share Christ. I would learn how to begin and lead the person to Christ even on their deathbed. And so we, we need to do that. We need to learn how to tell people about Christ. We, did, we designed a program for our church. It's called the WIND Program. And we want every, everyone that comes to our church to take that class. I said, before you die, you need to take this class. Because you need to know how to lead a person to Christ. Could be your, could be your mother, could be your father, could be someone. You need, to, you need to know how to share Christ, to be equipped to lead people to Christ. It's called the WIN program. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a powerful the gospel message is. We had, a, we had a fellow taking it. His name is Paul Gaynor. He's already with the Lord. And he was taking the class and he had to memorize the gospel plan. He had to memorize the gospel plan and all the verses. And he said to his mom, Mom, I'm taking this class at church. And mom was not a believer. So can you quiz me? I'm going to turn my back and here's the outline. And then I'm going to give it to you all the way through. So he began with the two important questions. It took him through all the different verses that had to do with leading the person to Christ. And at the end... He says, is there any reason why you would not like to receive Christ as your personal Savior? And she said, no. And then, he, and, then he, and then he turned around and he says, so mom, how did I do? Oh, son, you did well. You knew all the verses well and you memorized the plan. You did great. Thank you, mom. And he was going to leave. And, and she said, no. No what? You asked me, is there any reason why I wouldn't want to receive Christ? I said, no. I'd like to receive Christ. He led his mom to Christ practicing on her. <laughs> Figure that one out. See, that's the power of the gospel. See, it's not in the presentation. It's the gospel itself. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And that's what you have to say. Just let me tell you what it says. Well, I don't believe it. Well, I know you don't believe it. But let me tell you what it is. And then you spell it out. And it does its work. Because the power is not in you. The power is not in the presentation. The power is in the gospel. 
And so we, we present Christ. And so he's prepared a disciple. You all notice as you read through Philip that he is, he's in deep earnest. To be prepared means to feel deeply about the gospel presentation. This issue of solemnly testifying, it says, where the heart is in it. Your heart has to be in it. You're, you're wrestling with a soul that will perish forever if they don't come to Christ. It's a need where we have to feel strongly about this message of, of salvation and of redemption. And so you have to have a sense where your heart is in it. You're, you feel a love and a sense of urgency about this matter to lead them to Christ. We were going out visiting in, in East L.A. years ago, and uh, I went to visit a fellow that, and he was working on his car. He, he loved these old cars, and he was in the car working the car, and so I went out to started talking to him, and he was tinkering with the whatever it was, and I was watching him, and I started presenting Christ to him. Went through the whole plan of salvation. He was tinkering away and unscrewing stuff, and I just kept on sharing Christ, Christ, Christ. And then I said, Tom, um, would you like to receive Christ? He said, well, no, I don't want to receive Christ. Oh, Tom, you know, if you, if you died, you know, you, you wouldn't go to heaven. You, you, no, would you like to receive? No, I don't, I don't want to receive Christ, Alex. I, I'm okay. I'm, and I tried different ways to get him, and he wouldn't. I said, okay, Tom, I'm leaving now. But listen, Tom, don't die on me. Don't die on me. Because if you die, I've told you the gospel, if you die, you're going to hell. So, Tom, don't die on me. <laughs> then I walked away and went. And then I was preaching on a Wednesday night. Wednesday night preaching. And then in the foyer, I saw this guy going back and forth. That was like Monday, and then this was like Wednesday. And he was walking back and forth. I gotta watch these holes here because I might die, you know. <laughs> and, and, and then after the service, I went out, and it was Tom. Tom, he says, he says, I haven't slept since you came to see me. I don't want to die. He goes, I came to receive Christ as my Savior. See, it has to be in earnest. You have to, you have to sometimes end up weeping for them, and weeping because they did not respond in a positive way. You see, and Philip was in dead earnest about it. Dead earnest. He's a man that's prepared. He's he looking for opportunities. You know, when you're prepared, you're looking for opportunities because you're instant in season and not a season. You, you cannot, listen people, you cannot rely upon this little trick that sometimes they tell us, well, you know, Montoya, just lifestyle evangelism, just live as a Christian and, and that'll work. You know, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I've, I've been a Christian for 60 years. I haven't had anybody come to me and say, you know, Alex, you're weird, you're different. Tell me why. I've never had that. Have you, Chris? They tell you that you're weird, but not why. You know, see, in other words, that doesn't work, people. You have to open your mouth. Yes or no? Open your mouth and talk about Jesus. And so here, you, you, you recognize. You're looking, so you begin to look for these opportunities that are there. And so we, when he comes up to the chariot, the man is reading the prophet, what? Isaiah. The man's reading out loud the prophet Isaiah. You know what that's like? It's like you're boarding, uh, you're boarding southwest, you know, boarding southwest, not knowing where you're going to sit. And then you find a sit, you sit down there, and then that, this guy comes and sits next to you, and then you look at him, and, and then, all, then he pulls out the Bible, and he opens to John 3.16. And he begins to read it, and then you look at him. Are you a Christian? He goes, no. Well, you're reading the Bible. Yeah, I just got it. And I opened here. And what, is, what does this verse mean, John 3.16? Wow. Orale, you know. That, that is what is, that's what's happening here. Isaiah 53, which is the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. The door wide open. Do you know what you're reading? You have an opening line. You have to prepare an opening line. Do you know what you're reading? Well, oh, unless somebody tells me. See, you need an opening line. Do you have one? My opening line is this. If you were to die today, 
ma'am, would you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? That's my opening line. What's your opening line? Oh, there's, a, there's a pastor in, 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 in Tijuana who goes out soul winning. And you know, they're very Catholic down there. So he has a huge Bible that he goes when he knocks on doors. Huge Bible. On the front cover is the picture of the Virgen Guadalupe. That's the Spanish version of the Virgin Mary. And they, I mean, they adore her. Huge Bible. See, Catholics think the, the bigger the Bible, the holier you are. Because this huge Bible. Knocks on the door. He says, Hi. You know who she is? In Spanish, you know who she is? Oh, yeah. That's the Virgen Guadalupe. Guadalupe. He says, then he says, Do you know her son? Do you know her son? Let me tell you about him. And he goes from there to preach Christ. You see, you need an opening line. The man had an opening line. You need an opening line. And then you go for the soul. He preached Jesus to him. He preached Jesus. This is the hardest thing to do. To go right to the juggler. To preach Christ to them. To bring them to the point of them coming face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. See, sometimes we're afraid to offend people, so we never, point, we never pose the question. Or we never ask them. We never preach Christ to them. Because we're afraid to offend. Friend, don't be afraid to offend. Don't be afraid. You can apologize in heaven if you offended them. You know what I'm saying? But do not offend. Don't be afraid to offend. Preach Christ to them. Prepared disciple. That's what he was. Now then my question to you is, are you a prepared disciple? If you were invited to somebody's deathbed, would you know what to say? If the answer is no, then friend, we need to resolve that. Need to resolve that and learn spiritual CPR, that you would know how to lead a person to Jesus Christ. Number four, what is the enemy of a soul winner? This man was absolutely conscientious. Conscientious. What I mean that he was a holistic disciple. He was a thorough churchman. <laughs> you, you follow him and he didn't, just, uh, he didn't just give the guy the four laws and send him on his way. He, he didn't just you know, talk spiritual stuff and then, and then count his gospel, uh, a notch in his gospel gun. No, no, no. He, he was after a convert. He was after bringing somebody real to Christ. He was after a genuine, genuine person coming to Jesus Christ. Understand that. Understand that. We want them to be really, truly converted. We have too many false professions, too many people out there doing this and doing that, and yet not truly coming to Christ. He was truly after a true convert to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he preached the scriptures. That's why he preached Jesus. He went for the heart conversion. He already had an experience with Simon Magnus a few, a few days before, a false professor. He wanted someone real. And therefore, we need to do that. We need to always be after a, 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 a real decision for Christ. I recall a, a man came to me on a Tuesday and he said, you know, Pastor, I, I think I want to receive Jesus today. I said, you know, I don't think you're ready. I don't think you're ready. Here, I want you to read this gospel to John. I want you to go read it totally. And then next Tuesday, same time, it was 11 o'clock in the morning, same time, you come and see me and then we'll talk about receiving Christ. And then he went home. He didn't get upset, he just went home. 11 o'clock the next week to the hour, he came, knocked at the door. I opened the door. There he was. He says, I read it. I'm ready. Figure that one out. I read it. I'm ready. And sure enough, right there, we led him to Christ. And he was a thorough disciple through and through all of his life. In other words, we need to be. He's conscientious. He's conscientious. Did you notice how... He even talked about repentance and even baptism. Even baptism. Because when you come to Christ, you want to make it public. Yes or no? Make it public. People say sometimes, well, you know, Montoya, if I come to Jesus Christ, do I, do I have to give up drinking? I said that and a lot more. I'm shacking up. I'm shacking up, Montoya. If I come to Jesus, do we have to get married? That and a lot more. Hmm? Isn't it true? Yes or no? Talk to me now. Yeah, yeah, and a lot more, like get married and then be a good husband, yes or no, and then get a job, right, and work, yes or no, and provide, yes or no, and take other parents, yes or no, and raise the kids, yes or no, 
Should I continue? <laughs> so, see, in other words, he is thorough. Thoroughly. And, and see, see if the reason why sometimes we don't lead folks to Christ is that we're not good churchmen. We're here at Grace Bible Church, you know, like we're just, we're like, like, like little, little, little uh, butterflies that show up and then leave. No commitment, no real involvement. You, you can't lead people to Christ because you don't know where to take them and what to tell them. You need to be a thorough disciple. And when you bring them, say, you know, come to Christ. Your next step is to begin to read the Bible and you need to get baptized. And I want you to come to church. Yes or no? And you bring him to church. That's what Philip did. He was conscientious. He was a thorough churchman. He was involved in discipling this individual. And this eunuch was responsible to go back and bring the gospel to his own nation. That's what he was designed to do. You see, people of God, that's what we need to do. I was at Shepherd's Shepherd's, uh, Conference and came across one of the folks from Grace Community Church. And he goes, hey, Alex, hey, Pastor, uh, how's so-and-so doing? Mention a member in our church that over 20 years ago, he led him to Christ. Up in, he worked with him, led him to Christ. And then he, he goes to Grace Community Church, and we're like 20, almost 20 miles away. He picked him up at his home and took him to our church and introduced him to our church and then kept tabs with him. 20 years later, he's asking me, how's the man doing? I said, the man's a deacon now. He's serving God. His wife came to Christ. You see, he's still concerned about that disciple that he led to Christ and brought him to the church. That is what it means to be conscientious people, for us to be concerned about those that we lead to Christ. And then number five, this man is passionate. Philip is a passionate disciple. By the way, he's called in the Bible, Philip the Evangelist. He, that's his title, Philip the Evangelist. I mean, when they give you a title, hey, when God gives you a title, it's because you earned it. And he's an evangelist. He was passionate. He was like Paul. He wanted to preach any place and everywhere. He was preaching here. Once he's done with the Ethiopian, he's on his way. Any place he's go, he's preaching Christ, preaching Christ, preaching Christ. He is passionate. He is passionate. Like Paul was passionate. Our Lord was passionate. John Knox, he prayed, give me Scotland or I die, is what he said to God. I want to win people to Christ. I want to win people to Christ. And for you and I to be a soul winner, we need to be passionate about bringing people to Christ. Some of us used to be, we're not. Some of us are here and we, you've heard this, and, but we need to develop a passion for those that do not know Christ. need to be concerned that you be concerned. When I came to Christ as a, as a sophomore in high school, I wanted to win my, I wanted to win my, my, my little classmates to Christ. And I, I started preaching. I preached legalism, but I started preaching. I wanted them to come to Christ. Uh, and I didn't know what I was talking about half the time, most of the time. But I knew that God was, and there was a hell, and they needed Christ. We need to get passionate. Don't let anything keep you from doing that. Beware of getting sidetracked and doing other stuff. Beware of lukewarmness. We have no, some of us have no, no zeal, no fire to win someone else to Christ. We need to get, ask God to give us a zeal. Beware of doubts. Beware because somehow, somehow you led someone to Christ and it wasn't for reals. Don't worry about that. You leave it up to God. Just do the job. Get out there. Some folks like to criticize methods. Some of you don't get involved in soul winning, but you're always criticizing. Shut up. Get out there and do it. Do it your way. If you don't like the way I fish, you fish your way. But count the fish. That's how you, the, the method is true. And then, by all means, don't get sidetracked by, doing, by following the wrong doctrine. We need to make sure that we, are, we let nothing, nothing take our passion away from us. Because that can happen to you. That can happen to you. Now think about it. Right now, look at me. I'm done. I don't want to fall in this hole right here. So, okay. Can you think of someone in your life that you love, that you would like to see come to Christ? Can you think of somebody? 
I want you to visualize that person. Because I want you to start praying for that person. Start praying for that person. And then see if God will arrange an encounter. Hmm? Arrange an encounter. That you then can introduce that person to Christ. And lead them to Jesus. Amen? And friend, friend, if by chance you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, it's not an accident. It's a divine arrangement. A divine arrangement. You may be like the Ethiopian. You're looking. You're searching. You want forgiveness. You want to know God. You want to, you want to go to heaven. You want to have your sins forgiven. And to do that, you need to come to Christ, to accept Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. It's a personal decision between you and Jesus Christ. And if that is you this morning, either here or at home, I would, I would beg you and I would ask you that you open your heart and cry out to Christ and say to him, I'm a sinner, and I can't save myself, but I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And Lord Jesus, I want, I want you to save me. I want you to take my, my heart my life and forgive me and save me and make me yours. And if you do that by faith between you and Christ, God will do the rest. And God will come into your heart and make you a child of God. It's all on the basis of faith. If you're here this morning with that, I encourage you to pray that. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us an opportunity to have you speak to us about the quest for souls. Thank you so much for saving us from our sins. And I will pray you help us to be mindful of those that need Christ. And Lord, we pray for anyone today that might be here who, who needs Christ, that you might speak to them and draw them to yourself, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, and save them from their sins. Thank you. Thank you for the power of your gospel to transform and save from sin and from eternal damnation. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.